which means that you can you can cast it on your quarry and then just pick up the ball and walk out with them or just roll <laughs> them out of there right and like they're protected and safe right <laughs> yeah the bubble boy strategy right <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Elder Elemental Eye in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 247 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about using and fighting cults and cultists in your game. But first, the party fights unknown foes in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the deprogrammer brings back an innocent in the Character Creation Forge. So Shane, every week... These days, I mean, who can really tell what a week is anymore? Yeah, these in, these, in these end times. <laughs> but every week on Friday, you and I are appearing on a live stream. We are. We are playing Castle Amber, a fifth edition reboot of a classic module uh, over at twitch.tv slash godsfall. It is DM'd by our friend Aram Vardian and stars uh, us. Well, stars is a stretch, I yeah. guess, but it, it <laughs> involves it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it involves us and stars Sally and Dylan. Uh, Sally, of course, you might remember from Stream of Blades, and Dylan is uh, one of our uh, one-time Gen Con roommates. And a physicist, apparently. And a physicist, right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> So we are three sessions in uh, as of the air date of this episode. Tomorrow will be episode four. Uh, if you can't catch the live stream at 7 or 8 p.m., depending on the week. Yeah, depending on the week, it'll be either 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern uh, live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash godsfall. Or you can catch the uh, like on demand either on the YouTube channel for godsfall or on Twitch itself. Uh, yeah, and Aram's going to turn them into podcasts because he does fancy stuff like that, unlike us, who do not turn our streams into podcasts. Yeah, Aram, <laughs> um, it's a good person who likes his audience. <laughs> who cares about them and wants to make their lives easier. Right. <laughs> well, we are garbage people who thought, that's too much time to edit. No, thank right. you. Who had to get paid in order to even talk about the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so once again, you can check that out live at twitch.tv slash godsfall. All right, Ishin, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedakir, the party is chasing a killer. Yes, so we track down the dragon-marked halfling Wilmo, who ran the House Jurasco compound, the Mark of Healing compound, uh, where we died on the day of mourning. And after a bit of persuasion and enchantment and charming, she admitted to us that the facility conducted experimental research. So the backwash of the morning, combined with the energies released when the compound was destroyed, changed all of their corpses somehow, she tells them. None of them have been sick since their resurrection, and no matter how much Wilmo drinks, it can't kill her, which she finds very useful. And I suppose we'll find out what other things can and cannot kill her shortly, because <laughs> as she realizes that her uh, drink has been poisoned, two arrows pierce the paper wall behind, and one of them hits Wilmo square in the chest, sending her crashing to the ground. The other embeds itself in Decimus's shoulder, uh, then explodes into icy crystals. 
So Lenore the Rogue severs the entire paper wall screen by dashing the length of the room with her sword out. But their assailants are gone, so she ducks into cover. Switch, the paladin, dives under the table to heal Wilmo. And then two darkly clad halfling rogues pop out from behind the doorframe and let loose more of those icy arrows hitting Bramble and Switch. Then Warden, now in wolf form, closes into melee and Decimus lobs a fireball, aka the wizard's lockpick, and (laughs) scorches both attackers. Let me try to open both these uh, rogue-shaped doors. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) From around the corner, a small figure clad in plate mail enters the room, surrounded by an aura of menacing spirits, and it pulls divine fire straight from the sky, right on top of everyone clustered under the table. But fortunately, Switch's holy aura protects Wilmo, Bramble, and herself, and they escape with pretty minor injuries. In response, Bramble casts a hypnotic illusion, bewitching the rogues, and then Vesicod paralyzes the cleric with magic. The aura disappears, and the party dispatches their enemies with quick fatal strikes, um, deciding not to bother saving anybody to interrogate. Nah. Before they can identify who their assailants were, they hear other people in the compound shouting, and Warden sticks his head out the door and can see other halflings coming to investigate the commotion. Unsure whether these are going to be friends or foes, they decide they need to get the hell out. Yeah, so Wilmo is injured but alive and ushers them out of a secret exit. There's someone in House Jurasco who doesn't want them to know what's going on. So she says that she's well-connected and will stay in the compound to find out what she can. The party, however, should find someplace safe to stay. And we'll find out where they go next week. So this week we are talking about cults and cultists and, you know, bringing about the end of the world. What are you talking about, Shane? Uh, I don't know anything about a cult. I just have a very small uh, religious following that has very strict, very manageable tenets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and pamphlets, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, so many pamphlets. We're all about recruitment. Right. (laughs) All right, so cults are a very common trope in tabletop games. You've got your cult of elemental evil. You've got your cult of the dragon. 40K has got chaos cultists everywhere. Yeah, if you can find any type of um, powerful entity that can amass followers, some of them will develop religious devotion, and it's basically a cult. I mean, yeah, you you put power near people, and people start worshiping it. Yeah. (laughs) So it makes sense that they keep showing up, especially like in older modules, because they're an easy antagonist with built-in motivations. Now, you can use these cults in, you know, pre-written adventures as is and typically there's little to distinguish those cultists from mindless fanatics or hordes of orcs or what have you but it can be a lot more rewarding to give these cults internal logic to make them somehow relatable to explain what it is about them that actually appeals to real people living in this world and in this setting so that they actually join them so you can uh, do this especially in pre-written adventures that like you know stand up cults as the background antagonist or or maybe the early antagonist but don't really give them much characterization you know like you just you you often find adventures give you cultists and their name is cultist and their role and job and everything about them is cultist but a brainwashed cultist can become a tragic figure or someone worth saving or somebody who is like fully dedicated to this thing like beyond logic or is maybe even open to logic 
So when you're thinking about using a cult or you wanna create a cult to put in your game, there are a couple different things to define in order to help characterize the cult itself. The first one is purpose. Why does the cult even exist in this setting? I mean, it exists in your game because you want to use it because it's useful for you as an antagonist, but why does it exist in the world? Well, a lot of times they're there for worship. So you got to ask yourself, what is the cult worshiping? What is that being? And is it worthy of it? Right. And is it even a being, right? Um, Is it an idea or is it some sort of, you know, Cthulhu-like entity far beyond the stars? And is this thing actually worthy of being worshipped? I mean, you know, you could have a scam artist who has uh, created a cult because they want to be worshipped or, you know, they want to make some money, but they're not actually really powerful enough and can't do the things and probably can't heal people the way that they say they can. And of course, even if, you know, the object of a cult's worship is worthy of that, whatever, you know, however you might actually define that, it may not even necessarily be good that people do worship it it also may not even know that people are worshiping it. Yeah, this uh, there's that middle ground between like scam and delusion as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you worship the strange object and then like, like the Ouija board, for example, right? Like you use the Ouija board, everybody knows it's fake until it doesn't seem fake anymore. And suddenly like you find yourself with some sort of devotion to it right or like just that natural sort of like human inkling of like attributing strange occurrences to greater powers like that strange object that you fished out of the mine um is now controlling your life mostly through the fact that you believe it's controlling your life and you're now amassing followers to it like the object doesn't care it's just a pile of stone yeah it's like when you're a kid in the 80s and uh you pick up this uh interesting new game in your friend's basement with uh, these weirdly shaped dice uh-huh and you know you know it's just a game whatever and then you play it and then suddenly you realize that it's filling you with power and you're pretty sure that you can actually cast real magic spells yeah and you're running around talking about like dragons and stuff and recruiting more people to play the game it's a it's a pandemic even it's a <laughs> it's a it's a it causes everyone to panic it must be satan and then it just grows and it gets its tendrils everywhere. And suddenly there are TV shows. And the next thing you know, you're making a podcast and you just can't get out. Oh, no, we're, we're in the cult. <laughs> so, yeah, we already touched on this, but a cult could exist not specifically for worship. It could just be a scam. Um, I'll say it right now. Hey, Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also like all of the uh, Christian preachers who pre- uh, preach like um, prosperity ministry. Oh God. Yeah. Um, right? Like Joel Osteen, Creflo dollar. His Creflo name is dollar Creflo is dollar. Favorite. I know dollar is in his name. He tried to write off a jumbo jet. <laughs> I think it worked. He's Atlanta's finest. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Glad we got a local in there for you. Yeah. Thank you. So if it is a scam, Uh, It's probably not known to most of the followers, but consider who is benefiting here. You know, it might just be one cult of personality type person at the top, but it could be, you know, a bunch of useful idiots who are, you know, helping some other organization, um, maybe a lawful evil organization. And then also think about what is it that cult members are giving up, because that is going to help you define the effect of the cult in the world. Yeah, so the simplest the simplest thing to give up, of course, is money or like t- 
time effort, right? Like that that slavish devotion to do whatever is necessary, which means standing guard and dying to a bunch of adventurers or giving over your life savings. But like you also have, like you said, Scientology, right? Like famously require you to confess a bunch of secrets about yourself and your peers so that they have um, basically ammunition to blackmail you if you ever try to leave. Mm-hmm. And cult members could also be giving up things like freedom, you know, uh, a an insular cult that is away from society could basically just be living in a small community where everybody is essentially working as a slave for, you know, the higher echelons of the cult. I think here you do want to be careful. I think a really common trope with these kinds of cults is that it's basically sex slavery. Right. And that is something that you want to be very careful about introducing into your game. Um, make sure that people are okay with it. And, it, you know, make sure that it even, like, adds value to the game. Like, it might make sense in the fiction, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it makes it a more interesting aspect of the the setting or the, the play session. Right. And then... You, you sort of said this with, like, you know, the, the pile of junk, but you can have a cult that just evolves out of a mistake. You know, we've heard about cargo cults before where, you know, something dropped from the sky and people who didn't know what it was decided that it was a gift from the gods. Uh, I think you get a lot of these in 40K, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also, like, the the concept of, like, I didn't set out to start a cult, right? I set out to start, say, a political movement or... Uh, an honest worship of a deity or whatever right um and then somewhere along the lines like the level of commitment and devotion to me got so large that Mm -hmm. now it is taking on the elements of a cult and then you know that sort of power can be corrupting and now you have a cult leader rather than you know a uh devout humble minister or something like that yeah, and this doesn't even have to happen during that person's life, right? They right. die, and now all you have is people interpreting what they said, and now the the written transcription of like a random speech that they gave off the cuff becomes like holy scripture, and <laughs> hey, the errors compound over the generations. The, the key is to have like a hundred generations of old patriarchal white men edit those <laughs> statements to make sure that they remain relevant to the population Ishan. that's right we'll just sit around you know making sure they remain relevant to me right <laughs> <laughs> i i do like using this type of cult because it's easy to introduce an element of tragedy like you can have a cult whose purpose is actually really positive but who has just misinterpreted, you know, the signs or a message or even just random coincidence and now has ended up, you know, fervently believing in something that is not true at all and may actually be working at odds to their stated goals or or the things that the people in the cult actually want to help bring about. This is the Imperium of Man in 40K, right? Yeah. Like jointly between the worship of the emperor and then like the cult of Mars worshiping the Omnissiah, like is kind of keeping human society stuck in this terrible hierarchy, um, like this fascist regime, as well as limiting technological advance because the cult of Mars believes that ritual worship of mechanical things keeps them, like keeps the machine spirit safe rather than just like, you know, oiling the bolt of your LAS rifle helps it shoot more often. 
you know, performing the ritual of maintenance is essentially applying quote unquote holy oils, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> to all the moving parts. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> to assuage the machine spirits, Ishan. <laughs> right, right. You know, it it works for the most part, just not for the reasons you think. Right. You know? Right. And like you don't have to murder people who say maybe we should try opening it up. Right. And and but that's the thing about like what makes that as a setting kind of a little more compelling is you can play with the dramatic irony of knowing that some of these things are clearly just dumb, right? And then also the backdrop is, well, there's literally chaos gods that are trying to tear through reality. Mm -hmm. uh, And can you be sure that disobeying this or like rejecting it outright is not just giving into one of their temptations? That's actually probably one of the most interesting interesting thing about using a cult in a game is that you know, in the real worlds, all the things cults are trying to tell you are going to come to pass and all these like whatever, like demons and things like that. It, it's it's not true. Um, spoiler, it's not true. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> but in a game, it absolutely could be true. Right. Right. Uh, so actually, that brings us next to tenets. Think about what it is that people in your cult believe. I mean, remember that a religion is just a very successful cult. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if you call all religions in your setting cults, that kind of tells you about your feelings on religion, doesn't it? <laughs> so, you know, a traditional cult in a game might have weird or strange rituals or beliefs, but it doesn't have to. Like, you can also just rename familiar tenets that the PCs already know about or may even like really believe, give them a different name, uh, attribute them to a different god or a different um, cause. And suddenly you have something that, you know, your your PCs can relate to, but also seems strange and unfamiliar and maybe even a little scary. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the concept of turning the noun into the gerund, right? Or like turn the noun, the, the noun tenant into the turn of phrase. And now it seems slightly more ominous or slightly more cultish when it's really the same thing, right? Humility or, um, you know, never letting one's ego go before the greater good. Right, or humility, or posturing before uh, the prophets. Right. <laughs> oh, is, is that what that is? It sounds creepy, but I guess it's the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have this nice tension where it's like, is it the same thing? Like they renamed it, but maybe it's not. Because the other thing you can do is invert those familiar tenets. This is one of those things where, you know, you get like the upside down cross. And, you know, instead of worshiping God, we worship Satan, which is not actually analogous with real world satanism but you know whatever right it's it's the uh we don't uh nurture and protect the weak might makes right right it's a very easy way to make like a creepy scary cult if you just take the generally accepted practices of you know real world religions or you know religions in your um in your game and just flip them around like uh il mater in the forgotten realms was always a god i found really interesting because one of the tenets is like that there is a set amount of suffering that is going to happen in the world. And so the priests like flagellate themselves so that they take on more of that suffering so that there's less suffering to be divided among the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty freaking cultish, Mm -hmm. but flip that around. (laughs) And now maybe you have people going around flagellating other people to make sure that there's less pain for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like kind of on that note actually is sort of that like, following that rabbit hole of internal logic to its naturally crazy and antisocial outcome, right? So yes, I punish myself. I self-flagellate to prevent you from having to suffer or, you know, Ragnarok is inevitable. So 
we are here to advance Ragnarok and save everybody all the suffering that will happen between now and then. Right. Think of all the terrible things that we're doing right now and all the terrible things we're going to do in the millennia before Ragnarok. What if we just cut to the chase? Right. (laughs) Instant (laughs) karma is what I'm asking for. (laughs) And sure, I'm causing a little bit of suffering right now, but it's an investment in less suffering. Mm -hmm. So then think about the goals. How are the tenets of the cult going to be achieved? The most obvious, simplest one is destruction. Uh, Ragnarok's going to happen. I'm going to remake the world. I'm going to purge the unclean. I'm going to get rid of all these other people who don't support our particular viewpoint and will make the world pure and bright and happy once we kill everybody. There's also insinuation. Um, This is great for like outsiders, right? But the idea here is you want to corrupt the non-believers and then manipulate them to your advantage, right? Uh, Wake up sheeple, if you will. Or actually, I guess it's stay asleep sheeple. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is good for those cults that you know, really have like an us versus them mentality that other outsiders, um, you know, and that's a useful way for cults sometimes to like keep new followers is to separate, you know, those people from uh, their family members and their support groups, especially by saying like, those are the evil ones out there. It, it makes it easy for those cultists to view people who are not part of the cult as essentially like objects or you know people who can be manipulated without worrying about uh your conscience you know and this i think especially works for cults that are focused on materialism or that might be run by a scam artist yeah this is a great way to separate people from their money for sure they don't deserve that money they're not one of the believers right um also think about how they handle recruitment right um the like every cult has some element of rewarding true believers and recruiters into their cause right there's always that element of needing to evangelize or convert or you know like missionary type work go tell your family members go tell your friends like spread it in your community Right. That might even be the main goal of the cult is to expand. And this is especially common when you have a cult that's based on true actual belief, who like really, be- really thinks that the work that they're doing is good or that the mission is extremely important. Um, it's also really common with scams where you just want a wider user base. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and just make sure they send me 10 gold. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, you can buy your way into heaven. No problem. <laughs> right. Would you like to sidestep Ragnarok? We're making it happen, but I know where it's going to be. You know, normally you've got to like atone for your sins. But if you just buy this package for me right now, you can sidestep all that at the end. You'll go straight (laughs) in the fast lane to heaven. (laughs) Paylor said atone. What he didn't tell you is that it could also just be ringing a bell that makes a tone. This (laughs) bell right here, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tone mint. (laughs) (laughs) It's also delicious. (laughs) Also think about the external consequences of the cult's goals. So are other people actually being threatened by this? Do they even know that a cult is operating? You know, a cult could be operating beneath the surface, you know, if it's doing this insinuation, but it could also just be that the the goals aren't really that impactful on the rest of society. Um, I think about like, you know, some of the cults of the dragon below as defined in Eberron, you know, these are people who have like really small, maybe just family-based cults who worship weird monsters in Kyber. 
They worship monsters, sure, but in terms of their actual effect on society, it could just be that they keep a... Uh, I think the the common um, example is they keep a gibbering mouther in the basement, and every time a family member turns 60, they feed them to the gibbering mouther because they think it means their um, memories will live on forever, it, but it's just that a gibbering mouther, you know, repeats the m- memories of the people that it has eaten. So right. <laughs> it, like, sucks for them, but it doesn't really, like hurt society right right this is a similar thing to gene stealer cults uh for a long mm. time in in 40k right like there's a long incubation period in like the bottom dregs of society where gene gene stealer cults take hold before they eventually produce actual gene stealers that become a threat to society mm-hmm. um and like for a long period acolytes and hybrids live on quietly in the shadows without ever really affecting and in some ways actually enhancing imperial society because they are effective and sturdy and efficient and you know often involved in like menial labor that's required right because they need this community to last long enough like several generations so that they can turn into you know gene stealers right you don't want to what i'm saying is you don't want a mining colony that's too efficient because it probably means there's gene stealer cults involved (laughs) you you want to have to put down an uprising every once in a while is what i'm saying right uh this is actually a good time to think about you know having a cult that isn't necessarily an antagonist um you could have a cult that isn't really bothering anybody and maybe they think weird things but maybe they're not necessarily negative things like I think about sort of like early Christian cults, you know, there are a lot of different versions of Christianity uh, in like the the Levant and, you know, the Roman Empire. And you have a lot of people getting murdered because they weren't effective members of society anymore, because at the time, a lot of it was about giving away all your money and then like living in communes. But like that didn't actually hurt anybody. It hurt the economy of the Roman Empire. Yeah. This is all uh, pre-Crusades Christianity, right? Right. Yes. Very, okay. very early. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe they should have put them all down. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm Catholic. I don't have any leg to stand on here for Christianity to not harming people. It's just, you know. <laughs> all right. And then lastly, think about the leader. Who is in charge and why are they in charge? Again, this goes back to like Cthulhu monsters. Do they even know about a occults that worships them do they even care are they a corporeal entity are they an idea i mean you can certainly have a cult who's devoted wholly to you know uh suffering or fire or you know humility and prostrating before the prophets yeah and and then i mean the flip side of that is like you know like a lot of your cthuloid cthuloid cults are because somebody read the wrong thing and has now been infected and taken over by like the madness right and that's infectious um so like they're in charge because of bad luck not because they're necessarily an effective like cult leader or anything mm-hmm. i mean effective cult leader might be an oxymoron well right <laughs> not an intentional <laughs> cult leader <laughs> so defining your leader is really going to help you figure out when the cult began right because they probably started it uh what its resources are because they probably have access to all of those resources and you know have marshaled their resources in and put them into the cult it'll tell you how powerful it is uh, and it'll give you a good idea of how deeply into society the cult has been able to worm its way and you know this is also really in useful information for parties to figure out if you can identify the leader you know pretty much everything you need to know about this cult right and then keep in mind the tenets and goals may differ strongly at the top of a cult 
uh, versus what the lay people within the cult know, or especially what outsiders of the cult know, right? Like the, uh, there's always that idea of the manipulative, like inner circle, like brain trust that is doing the work of the cult. Whereas the people on the outside who have been recruited are not yet, uh, trusted to have that kind of like purview. So speaking of the people who have just joined the cult, let's talk about the membership of cults. Think about who is joining the cult and why are they joining the cult? What kind of person wants to join a cult called the cult of elemental evil? <laughs> I was going to say, that's got to be a, a late late stage of the pitch, right? <laughs> oh, this all sounds great. What's the cult? The cult of elemental evil. Well, no, no, no. It's cool. It's not like that kind of elemental evil, you know? It's just like a trendy thing we thought of in the 90s. Right. Think about it. Like fire seems to have a mind of its own, right? We specifically like the parts of fire that are evil. <laughs> eh? Eh? It, it does require a certain outsider's mindset in order to join most cults. It also might require a certain kind of trauma. So think about what happened to a person in their past that made them either susceptible to a cult's teachings or made them interested enough to sort of go out and seek these kinds of groups that really often function outside mainstream society. Yeah, this is the the question of how do they get recruited to the cult, right? Was it um, Was it the soft sell? Was it the kind of like born into it? Was it the sort of thing where they were strong-armed into it? Um, were they swindled, you know? Were they like betrayed or um deceived or maybe they just didn't even know they joined yeah. you know like that like that's the cthuloid problem right is like uh you get exposed to it and like all of a sudden things change about you and like you don't even know that you're in a cult you're just doing what you know the yith tell you i mean yeah i was just sad in the 90s and picked on and then you know i was listening to a lot of the cure and the smiths and then the next thing i know like i dyed my hair black and i'm you know wearing eyeliner and a choker collar and suddenly i'm a goth and how did i get here yeah <laughs> it's like, and and my my main recruiting pitch is i stare at my shoes all day <laughs> um once you know what kind of person is susceptible to the cult think about how they got recruited it probably one of two ways they either went out looking for something and then found the cult or the cult came out looking for them maybe even helped them got them out of a difficult spot and then why do you stay in the cult right why aren't you leaving uh is it that you don't know the truth of it is it that you don't care do they have leverage over you are you being blackmailed it's because I look really good in black. I mean, that's you know, a like, good enough what? reason, I guess. Right. <laughs> and you know what I'll tell you? Barbecue tastes best when cooked over elemental evil flames. Oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah, definitely true. <laughs> all right. So your social interactions that your party is going to have with these cultists, now that you know all about your cult and who's in it. So a cultist who is out in society probably reads as very normal, maybe even like super normal. Like there's absolutely nothing that is going to ping as strange about them because they're here not to make waves. Right. They're actually here to manipulate the party. Yeah. Yeah. They're here to destroy something or retrieve something or fulfill a piece of the prophecy or recruit people. They're not here to get found out by player characters and killed prematurely. Right. They also might be here to have the 
player characters do all of those things for them mm-hmm. because I'm just a wealthy merchant and I uh, am interested in uh, these relics because I am an art dealer and I find them fascinating. Please go retrieve them for me. Mm-hmm. Because they belong in a museum. That's right. Why don't you destroy this other weird cult of warlocks and goblins who have been fighting my people for generations <laughs> <laughs> and keeping the evil obey? What? Huh? What? Wait, yeah, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh that temple of elemental goodness grr. they're also probably a mid-level member of the cult the low-level members are probably sequestered away you know for all the brainwashing and the high-level members are hidden away for safety or because like why would they be out here near adventurers who have swords yeah whereas your mid-level is is the ones that can be trusted to do things and keep the secret while also not knowing enough to give up the whole gag. And then a cultist that your party is interacting with has skills that are going to be useful in the real world. Um, that might mean that they were recruited as someone who was already capable, but it also might mean that they were, you know, born into and raised in the cult and then specifically trained to go out and do something. And of course they it may be part of a cell, right? They may not know who all the other cult members are. It doesn't necessarily mean that if they get found out that your party can read their mind or or interrogate them or whatever, and now suddenly they have all the answers. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, in a cult setting, these aren't, like, you know, these aren't, like, spy cells or terrorist cells in the way that they're completely covert within society. A lot of times they wear their flags pretty openly. It's that, you know, two different sects of the cult might not know that they're both members of that same cult. Right. Like kind of they they have the same inner circle, but different mid and lower level members. Right. They could just flagrantly, you know, wear emblems that let other cult members know they're part of the cult, like a a Harper pin. (laughs) (laughs) Chapters, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So in combat, which is maybe what some of you have been waiting for. (laughs) Right. uh, I like cultists because they're very goal oriented in combat. They um, they know what they want, but you can use cultists in very different ways from traditional monsters because they may not necessarily want to kill the PCs. That might not be their goal. They also may not necessarily want to survive because that might not be their goal either. Yeah, they have uh, Schrodinger's intentions, if yeah. you will. <laughs> Until you get into the fight, you don't know what, like, the PCs might not know what their actual intent is. That gives you a lot of flexibility as the GM to run away and give up a fight or to literally fight to the death if you want to drag it out. Mm-hmm. And for PCs, this means that you you need to approach this cautiously. Like, you don't know that their only goal is to, like, you know, get a drop of your blood. And right. the easiest way for them to do that is, like, you know, let you get close, spear them, and then they just scratch you. And great, we've gotten the reagent that we need. It literally doesn't matter if five of us are slaughtered. Right. So that means they might take risks that seem really unnecessary. Yeah, or they might target PCs in a way that doesn't make tactical sense. You know, like like you said, if your goal is to just get a drop of their blood, then that means they need to spread out and hit all of the PCs, um, but not necessarily group them up and fireball them. Right. Um, or, you know... They may not gang up on, you know, the mage. They might make a terrible tactical decision and go after, you know, someone in the back who is actually less of a threat or, you know, the random NPC that you have with you or whatever, because that's the person who fulfills the prophecy. Well, and that's and that's the thing, right, is it's not a terrible tactical decision. It's just that it's a tactical decision based on a different objective. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that should often be opaque to the 
player characters, especially on like the first time they encounter a cult, or at least at that kind of level of inf- of, of escalation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nice when you know they've had their third encounter in combat with the cults, and they're suddenly pe- putting the pieces together, and they're like, "Oh, they do this every time," or you know, they do their research and realize that in that first encounter, this was their goal, and that second encounter, you know, they were looking for something else. Oh no, here's the third thing that they need. Right. Uh, in combat, individuals, individual members of the cult are pawns to be used to achieve a greater purpose. So you can play them like that. Like you can actually just look at them and, and sort of do the opposite of the thing we often say, which is, hey, you're playing five goblins. Make those goblins real people who actually care about their own existence. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can be like, hey, these five cultists have a goal. They're going to do whatever it is and sacrifice whatever in order to achieve that goal. Yeah, and this opens up a lot of like edge case rules in a lot of systems, right? Like this is a great time to use your grappling rules, right? Because yeah. this is where like, oh, there's a handful of cultists that are just charging you and trying to help one of them escape, right? Like now you have to deal with this mess instead of just a straight up fight, which you are probably pretty optimized to deal with. Can you just finally admit that you are a member of the cult of grappling? <laughs> uh it's it's the cult of greco-roman wrestling thank you here is your honorary stridulus that's grappling with fewer clothes on <laughs> and then players remember that the cultists are not necessarily operating as individuals um they might actually be harder or even impossible for you to break the morale they might be you know completely unwilling to parlay or if they parlay again they may be very single-minded in their focus and there's only one thing that they want so let's talk about how to use cultists as npcs most likely is they're, they're going to be an antagonist and a great thing about a cult is they are a wonderful recurring villain because you can let your party kill the person who is representing the cult you don't have to figure out a way for them to escape or to like live to fight another day because they're just gonna have another cult member take that person's place yeah you have to like kind (laughs) of rip it out root and stem as they say in order to actually defeat the cult yeah it's actually kind of great because you know you get that feeling of like victory of like defeating someone who's really been a thorn on your side and then oh no like we didn't really finish it they were part of something bigger and actually they're part of the exact same thing you don't even need to escalate this into a new arc right and then think about what is the party's relationship to the cult itself do they know that it is a cult at first they should eventually figure out that it's a cult because otherwise why use a cult but you know maybe or maybe even likely they are introduced to them because the cult begins as the party's patron or as a friend or people that you know and actually maybe like like a genuinely useful resource to the party for a long time until the party slowly gets manipulated into doing things for their benefit without understanding the costs right so you finally realize oh okay we only did that for you because we're really good friends but you only became really good friends with us because you needed us to do that yeah yeah which hey that's a great reason to like go put a torch to an entire cult right (laughs) (laughs) Um, a great way to do this is to take an organization that's known in the canon and turn its purpose kind of on its head, right? And this is this is excellent if you have large over, like overarching organizations that have like chapters or regional offices or like you know different um, like sub cells or or whatever, right? Like 
the local chapter of the Harpers is actually a cult of something else, right? It doesn't mean you have to kill all the Harpers everywhere, but it might mean like this is going to be a challenge because the Harpers have a strong reputation and everyone around you is going to think, oh yeah, no, like we kind of like the Harpers. I don't really believe you that some of them are a cult. That's nonsense. I mean, if you want to kill all the Harpers, you, you should do that. I mean, I, I think bad example. That's, that's important, right? <laughs> um, I mean, the other thing that you can do, it can be it can be local, right? But you can just take pretty much any organization that you want and follow their beliefs to their logical and terrifying conclusion. The Harpers want to protect the Forgotten Realms. Maybe the best way to do that is to make sure magic doesn't exist. And maybe they're the reason that Mistra keeps dying. <laughs> They have manipulated this every single time and every single time she comes back and they're just trying to figure out how to keep her dead for good because then people will actually have enough power to make sure that the whole world doesn't explode into random spell plagues and, you know, terrible times of troubles. Confirmed. Ed Greenwood is a harper. And then a really nice arc that you can introduce if you have a party or even just a party member who is interested in this kind of thing is a an NPC victim of the cult. That is a member of the cult who has essentially been brainwashed or convinced to join it. And now your goal is to get them out of it. Yeah, they might be somebody who is young and new to the cult who is sort of realizing what's going on. Uh, or they're simply newly aware of the cult's true goals because they've you know reached the level where they're entrusted with more information. Right, I'm a level 17 Thetan now. Uh... I just found out some crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I need. I definitely need a guy. I did not sign up for this. Exactly. Um, it's just a, a really fun way to sort of slowly escalate the stakes. You know, you begin with the traditional farmer whose kid is missing and you're hired to like go fetch them. Like, please save them from the goblins. And then it turns out they were not taken by goblins. In fact, they went willingly. Right. Um, this also works well if you have an NPC who is high ranking and looking for a way out. Um, this works great in that sort of like undercover agent like concept of like, oh, they were faking it and infiltrating and now they have lost their support system necessary to take advantage of it. Or just I got deep enough and I woke up and now like I'm unwilling to continue doing this. I need to destroy what I've created. Right. Or, oh, it turns out the goals of this cult are to destroy the world, but that's where I keep everything that I own. Yeah. What's the point <laughs> of being super rich in this prosperity cult if we're also secretly going to destroy all the riches? Right. And then now you have this nice tension where the person you're trying to save sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're still really useful because they'll help you take down the cult or they have evidence or or whatever. Like they're the key to stopping this whole thing, but you just hate them. But right. you can't kill them. <laughs> So as you're doing this, think about who makes the first approach. You know, is this somebody the PCs find or does the NPC come to them? And how does the party win the NPC's trust or vice versa? What does the NPC need to demonstrate in order to win the party's trust? Right. And this is ongoing, right? Like every interaction has the potential to improve trust between, you know, the, the party and the cult member or to decrease it on one side or the other. And then, of course, consider, is this redemption actually real? Mm, is this just yet another machination of the cult? 
I, I think this one is a dangerous thing. Like you can't red herring everything in a cult, <laughs> you know? So like you, you need to think about the game system that you have and its ability to suss out these red herrings, right? Like this is a great idea in like a gumshoe game where you can know things for facts because you are competent investigators. It's a lousy thing in a D&D game where a few bad rolls and now you're completely lost in the jumbled mess of this plot uh, and you're unsure like where you stand at all and you've lost all forward momentum right nobody took insight right uh i think you could yeah i think you can get away with like one twist right you can begin the adventure and not know that there's a cult involved and then you oh there's a twist it's a turns out it's a cult and then you redeem them that makes sense you can also know that there is a cult involved you're going to go kill this person and then the twist is hey actually i want out right but you you don't want to like keep going back and forth and and then you have absolutely no idea where you stand session to session right i have to destroy this cult but oh wait if i do that something worse happens now i kind of need to keep it in place right Mm -hmm. great twist leave it there don't actually make them bad (laughs) right (laughs) all right so confrontation um a couple ways to handle cults you can just destroy it this is great kill them annihilate them just rip them out root and stem you know it's great if they're small enough that you can actually track down every member and make sure that their terrible motivations are silenced forever yeah this started this is actually how morning glory started when you know before it was eberron and when it was just the case of chaos there's a cult worshiping some entity called nihilus in that cave and like the whole cult was just in the cave and you kill every single thing in that cave hey cult salt right you can also sometimes destroy a cult just by killing the leader because maybe it just falls apart from there you know if a bunch of warlocks are you know gaining power from some otherworldly entity and you kill that otherworldly entity then nobody has any power anymore and it all falls apart or without their first force of personality it just no one can hold it together everybody goes their separate ways right you get a boat you ram it into cthulhu problem solved (laughs) right um you can also dismantle it right oftentimes this involves killing the leader directly and then you know like everything falls apart around them all their machinery uh ceases to work without their pulling the strings right or you know maybe it doesn't completely fall apart maybe there's still pockets of resistance but for the most part the cult can't operate anymore as like one uh one entity because it's you've cut off the head this could also mean that you destroy their objects of power right they they are isn't necessarily a leader but you know they are worshiping objects of old and you smash those into little bits and now they just can't function or operate and also nobody has anything to believe in anymore right yeah if they could destroy that object well then what do we really believe in all along right uh you know it really just proves that entropy was correct all along right uh and then the approach that i feel like is most ripe for like turnabout as fair play is the attempt to expose the cult right um this is like what keeps happening to scientology and yet scientology keeps growing like for every documentary that anybody puts out about the horrors of scientology they mint a thousand new thetans you know like um so you take out and and your attempt to expose the true beliefs of a cult publicly and like kind of name and shame them um causes them to wither for people in the lower levels to leave and they stop recruiting and eventually they lose their influence Right, you unmask them on live television and yeah. success. Okay, so in fairness, that approach did work for like the Ku Klux Klan for like right. <laughs> a, a solid like 50 years, right? <laughs> and then lastly, you can attempt to redeem the members of the cult. Maybe that even means redeeming the leader of the cult. 
I think this is probably easier when you're dealing with like a person who has been afflicted with madness or has, you know, completely gotten gotten the wrong way up about interpreting a piece of uh, scripture or an experience that they've had. You know, you can show them the light. You right. probably can't do that with like a demon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in that case, you might need to kill the leader and redeem the followers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're not a god. You want to know how I know? I cut his head off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the head of a god, I ask you, as I place it <laughs> upon the altar? <laughs> um, it might be, depending on the kind of control the leader has. If you kill the leader, everyone is just suddenly freed from the mind control that has kept them subservient. Yeah, this is great if you have things like, you know, mind flayer cults. Suddenly, I, I don't have, you know, engrams being uh, projected into my brain from three miles away. Right. Who am I and what have I been doing? And then if this is something that your party is interested in, you can have the task be to dismantle the cult and then in sort of a more realistic way, undertake a very long-term project to reassimilate individual cult members back into society. You're basically deprogramming each person. I mean, that that would be sort of like a either a big part of a game that involves a lot of probably intense role playing. So make sure that your party is up for that. It also could just be something that keeps happening in the background. And you like you revisit like, hey, every time we come back to town, we go to the sanatorium and see how people are doing. Yeah. Then in terms of mechanics for introducing a cult, uh, it could be helpful if you have some iconic stats or powers, you know, ideas that like every member of this cult gains something by being a part of it. That comes through mechanically in how they, you know, perform in combat or some ability that they have, some spell that they all cast, things like that. Yeah, uh, this there's a section on this in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Um, it's useful reference even if you're not playing D&D. It's just, you know, here is a cult of this particular demon prince. Here are like the stat bonuses you get and the iconic spells that you might cast if, um, you know, you're a follower of uh, this particular demon prince. It really rewards characters who are invested in lore and research because it means that even if you know there's a cult, you don't necessarily know what the cult is around or what it's involved in. But you suddenly realize that, like, they keep casting the maze spell. <laughs> right. And it's probably Baphomet. Yep. Um, there might also be bonuses for joining. Um, this could explain why people want to join this cult. You know, it could be uh, equipment or access, influence, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity to indulge your vices. Uh, it could be boost to your stats or increased vitality or you know the opportunity to pet tigers right <laughs> i mean this is this is the 40k chaos gods right like each of them is like hey do you like uh orgies well cult of slanesh yeah <laughs> hey do you like meth <laughs> cult of joe exotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do really like this because it also means that you don't necessarily have to have like broken people who have joined this cult. You can have greedy or selfish people who are just in it for, for power or power over other people or whatever it is you get out of being part of a powerful organization. Right. I mean, that's Scientology, right? Yeah. And then you can also have things like immunity to certain kinds of effects. You know, um, you could have immunity to fear for cult members. And that might be like a magical effect from the leader or their belief. But it could also just be that like their belief is so strong in like a real world focused cult that they just aren't afraid of anything. Like their morale will not break because they have unshakable faith. 
yeah, they might have the ability to ignore um, extreme amounts of pain or they might be uh, effectively invulnerable to trickery because their belief is so strong that it can't be manipulated. Right. I literally do not care what you say or what evidence you show me. Like, I don't believe it. Yeah. And then I will say here one caveat. Um, I think I would probably lean away from using the word cultists for um, a game that is more sort of grounded in reality or that deals with like real world themes or people. I'd probably use something like cult member so that you don't end up like depersonalizing too much uh, a like relatable person that can seem maybe a little too familiar to some players. So yeah, I think that's an especially good point when you're talking about um, real world examples of people from marginalized communities as well, right? Like you're kind of doubling down on the othering when you do that. Right, because you know you can easily fall into this trap of, hey, it is the you know person who grew up in poverty, who has suffered trauma, who is more susceptible to the cult, right? But we know that's not necessarily the case, nor is it necessarily something that you want to you know, lean too heavily into in right. your game. Except for Scientologists, fuck Scientologists. There you go. Uh, and hey, cults can be interesting and fun to use, and I 100% guarantee that if you are playing anything pre-written, you are going to run across them, no matter what genre you're playing in. Spice them up, make them interesting, make them make them relatable, like make them enticing, because they are. Yeah, I mean... A lot of times in an adventure, when you see cultist, what you're seeing is blank slate to project an interesting plot point on. So read the adventure, take advantage of it, um, and really make that stand out for your players. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? I think that is the sound of our newly branded Atonement. (laughs) Sounds great. Tastes great. Well, let's find out what's in the Atonement in the Character Creation Forge. But first, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Behold Her share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit BeholdHerPodcast.com. All right, so... This week in the Character Creation Forge, we're talking about the deprogrammer. Ishan, what is the deprogrammer? Well, this might be one of your PCs. They are sent to retrieve someone who's been taken by a cult. They must physically bring them back, but of course, they're also going to have to convince the person of the error of their ways. So they must be both uh, capable physically and very persuasive. Okay. Um, And I assume they're going to have the hacking skill. Of course, they <laughs> yes, they are going to stay in the van the entire time and use their drones to retrieve those people and then deprogram. Okay, so what's the build? 
It is Redemption Paladin 14, Arcana Cleric 6. So from Cleric, we will have third level spells, including Detect Magic, Dispel Magic, and Magic Circle, all great ways for finding and uh, removing the mind-controlling effects that some cults use. You get Proficiency in Arcana and two Wizard Cantrips. Mm, If you want to be combat-focused, Booming Blade and Green Flame Blade are very useful here before you get extra attack. Uh, I like the Friends Cantrip. Because it, it, I think of it as like, you know, you walk up to the front door of the, the cult hideout, you want to get in, great, you friends the sentry, and once you walk in, then you just start, you know, joint locking and breaking arms. <laughs> I pro- probably would not use it, though, on my target. Yeah. And then at level six, you get Spellbreaker. When you heal somebody, you can end a spell on that creature, which is sort of really nice. You can be like, I cure wounds you, little one, and also I remove the, the enchantment from your mind. And you can also just sort of like flinging it around inside the cult and just being like, you're free and you're free and you're, hey, mask your wounds. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, you will be able to turn or banish uh, undead, celestials, elemental, fey, or fiends. These are all highly suspect cult leaders. Yeah. <laughs> all right. From Paladin, we get a fighting style, lay on hands, smite, disease immunity, uh, which is good for fighting those Nurgle cults. And extra attack. You'll also have fourth level spells, including uh, such stalwarts as Sanctuary, Sleep, Calm Emotions, Hold Person, Counter Spell, Hypnotic Pattern. Like these are all the spells where you're dealing with someone who really doesn't want to come with you, but you really need them to leave with you and you can't harm them, right? So great, I make you fall asleep. Uh, I calm your emotions down. Will you just listen to me for a second? Right. Or, you know, if it really if it really comes down to it, I will just paralyze you and then, like, surf you out of here, I guess. <laughs> Carry you. Carry <laughs> <Right>. you. <laughs> sanctuary is good, too, because when you're going to the lion's den, you just pop a sanctuary and, like, see if their willpower is strong enough to actually attack you. Also, my favorite here is uh, you get Autoluke's Resilient Sphere as a, um, uh, as a domain spell. <laughs> Which means that you can you can cast it on your quarry and then just pick up the ball and walk out with them or just roll them out of there. <laughs> right. And like they're protected and safe, right? <laughs> yeah, the bubble boy strategy. Right. <laughs> uh, you will also get Emissary of Peace, which gives you a plus five to persuasion. Uh, an awful handy way to make sure that they listen to what you're saying. And you'll get Rebuke the Violent. Uh, you can channel divinity so that when anyone attacks you and, and you are being peaceful, they take damage. It's a great way to sort of like throw up your hands and be like, look, I'm not here to hurt anybody. You're just hurt, you're just hurting yourselves. Right. I don't know what you're doing here. Uh, and then you get Guardian Aura at level seven. I like this a lot because it means you can take the damage uh, for uh, another creature that you see take damage. Normally, this is like you jumping in front of an ally, but you can also get into a situation where this person doesn't want to leave the cult. And if they're fanatical enough, they might try to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. So great. You stab yourself. Eh, turns out you stabbed me. Right. Not you. Sorry. Whoops. I got a bunch of hit points. <laughs> uh, as a paladin, you will also grant a, an aura that will give a bonus to saves and immunity to fear effects. And then you'll have cleansing touch with which you can use to end a spell on a creature. Great if they are mind-controlled or something like that. Or as a demonstration of your uh, goodwill in ending your own effect on a creature so that they are now <laughs> you know, repossessed of their full mind. In terms of leveling order, I think we're actually just going to go 
straight cleric and then paladin because you know you'll get spellbreaker um and then cleansing touch is a nice capstone all right so before we wrap up we want to take a moment and thank our patreon supporters yeah your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill you can also leave us a five-star review on itunes doing that will help others find the show and if you do we will read it on the air so what do we have planned for next week's episode we're talking about using poison and in the character creation forge we're building the dart frog well that's it for episode 247 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening 